Welcome to Plodcast Podcast, episode 44. I uh, really appreciate you uh, sticking it out with us. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Um, hope you find it edifying. I want to talk a little bit about guilt and to, uh, to tolerance. Um, uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, said that free love, talking about basically sexual promiscuity, uh, G.K. Chesterton said that free love was the first and most obvious bribe that could be offered to a slave. The first and most obvious bribe that could be offered to a slave. When we talk about liberty, as we should, we should be talking about liberty um, a lot more than we do, frankly. Uh, we should care about it. We should be. We should fight for it. But before we fight for it, before we start caring about it, we want to be careful to define it. So uh, it seems to many people that leftists, the progressive left, is agitating for liberty in certain areas and conservatives are agitating for liberty in other areas. But it's not quite so simple. It's It's not as though the liberals want you free on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the conservatives want you free on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. We're not talking about free here versus free there. We're talking about different definitions of liberty entirely. It's, uh, we're, we're talking about definitions of liberty that are in tension with one another and that are in collision with one another. Usually, the, the liberties that the left wants to uh, promote, the left wants me to have the liberty to smoke dope. The left wants me to have the liberty to engage in sexual activity however I want, whenever I want. Uh, The left wants me to um, have these particular kinds of liberties. But keep in mind that these liberties, like getting stoned or um, having sexual activity, are are liberties that can be indulged in a six-by-eight prison cell. Someone can get stoned in prison. Someone can have sex in prison. Someone can um, conduct all these sorts of liberties and and indulge in all these liberties. Um, And the liberty that the conservatives are talking about uh, are liberties that presuppose uh, you having the run of the country or really the run of the world. Um, They want you to be able to start a business and invest in it and grow it without interference from the government and make a profit and keep the profit and then hire people and then buy another field and do, you know. um, They want you to have the kind of liberty that could not be exercised in a six-by-eight prison cell. So what you have to realize is that many of the liberties that are being offered to people, like the the push to... um, uh, the, the push to increase the number of pothead states where recreational marijuana is abundantly available. These initiatives are bribes, and they are bribes from an establishment that wants a docile and easily manipulated public. A docile and easily manipulated public. And part of the manipulation is, of course, if you're stoned out of your gourd, that's, that's part of the uh, 
that's part of what makes you manipulable. But another thing that makes you manipulable, manipulable is the fact of guilt, the fact of guilt. Um, so an immoral people, people who are sexually licentious, a people who have killed their offspring, many of their children, a people who have uh, rebelled against the, God's definitions of male and female, uh, these, these people are suppressing, according to Romans 1, they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And when you suppress the truth in unrighteousness, as I've used the illustration before, it's like holding an overinflated beach ball underwater. You're at the pool and someone inflated this beach ball and you're holding it under the water and your arms are quivering. That's, that's the way non-believers are. They're trying to hide from themselves the truth of how God made the world the truth of how God made them. And so it's our job as apologists and evangelists and as liberated Christians to tickle their arms, to poke their arms and say, what do you, you know, what do you got out of there? So um, what the, the fact that they are, um, have, have indulged themselves in so many ways means that they are carrying a fundamental burden of guilt, a fundamental burden of guilt. And this means that when the state comes with various uh, crusades to imbue everyone with a sense of righteousness and glory, like the climate, uh, you know, uh, climate change crusade, let's save the polar bear, or let's save the rainforest, or let's save this, or let's save that. Uh, and, and what you do, John Q. Citizen, is that you give up more of your money, more of your freedom, more of your liberty, while we are engaged in saving the cosmos. Well, people, a guilty people, are going to be suckers for that kind of, uh, for that kind of ploy. So, on the one hand, uh, the state, the overweening state, the overinflated state, the swollen state, entices you with various bribes. Look in this. Uh, in this new circumstance, in this new order that we're building, you can sleep with whoever you want to. You can smoke whatever you want to. You can ingest whatever you want to. We're going to get these tired. We're going to get this tired old Puritanism off your back. Oh, great! And so people go for that. But when they go for it, they're they're not actually living in the world created by the state. They're living in the world that God Himself made. And in the world that God himself made, when you do that sort of thing, when you indulge yourself that sort of way, the, the result is guilt. And what guilty people do is they either despair, take their own life or despair, you know, retreat, or they repent, turn to God through Christ, or they go on a moral crusade. They are viciously moralistic. And this is something you need to uh, sort of take on board. A guilty people will be the most fiercely moralistic people you ever met. And that's what we're seeing around us with the hate speech battles and the, uh, the political correctness and the, the cultural Marxism and the, you know, the, um, the guilt-mongering on race and Me Too and the sexual, sexual issues. Um, it's vicious accusation coming from people 
who are profoundly guilty of these same things themselves. So that's what we, um, that's what we have to start, uh, that's what we have to grasp. There's a tight connection between guilt and totalitolerance. And uh, what Christian preachers need to do is start preaching the alternative. We need to start preaching free grace. Um, free, free grace, free grace, free grace. So then, uh, this book review is going to be uh, a book review looking through the wrong end of the telescope, if you will. I'm going to review a book. Well, I'm not going to review a book. I'm going to review a review of a book. Um, and I've not yet read the, the book, but I have read the review. And here we go. I'll explain it as we go. Um, uh, Jonah Goldberg has a, um, a new book out, Suicide of the West, and which I I have on my phone. I've already downloaded it, and it's queued up. I'm going to listen to it next as soon as I'm done with the book I'm currently uh, listening to. Uh, but I just uh, read today uh, a review of uh, Goldberg's book by David Bonson and Brian Matson. Uh, so on National Review Online, they review Suicide of the West by Jonah Goldberg. Now, I should say uh, at the outset, that I have really um, enjoyed uh, Goldberg's writings. I, I think his liberal fascism was a first-rate book. I believe his Tyranny of Clichés was a very good book, not as good as liberal fascism, but it was a very, very good book. And this book promises to be a great book also. And Bonson and Matson give it a rave review for the most part, okay, um, for the most part. They uh, they ding Goldberg, I think, where um, from from what I've seen of, from Goldberg up to this point, and, and despite enjoying him very much and despite him being a magnificent writer, uh, he has got uh, a house built on sand. He has no metaphysical basis for what he's saying. He begins the book by saying, there is no God in this book. Now, if you... Um, if there is no God, then all kinds of things follow that Goldberg would not want to have follow. Um, as the review points out, Goldberg is, uh, does an outstanding job in pointing out how grateful we should be uh, for the blessings that we have in this society in, in which we live. But here, that's the problem. Grateful? Gratitude, uh, when, I, when I give thanks, that's a word that requires a direct object. You, uh, if I get, um, uh, oh, I don't know, just make a pair of shoes that fit really well, or let's say I get a new, um, a new book or a, a new car or a new thing that I really, I really, really, really like it. And let's say I'm an atheist. Would it make any sense to go out into an open field and yell thank you to nothing in particular? No. Gratitude requires an object. If my wife gives me, uh, hands me a plate of food, I say thank you. Um, and I don't just say thank you. Thank you does not mean I am happy that I have food now. Thank you presupposes relationship. Gratitude presupposes relationship. And Goldberg is in the position of wanting people to inculcate this 
uh, sense of gratitude, but they have to do it as though they were in a relationship. But that, the, that's not the happily married person saying thank you to their spouse. That's the crazy cat lady talking to herself. Um, and quite honestly, you can't, unless you have metaphysical money in the bank, the checks that a culture writes are all going to bounce. If you don't have metaphysical money in the bank, the checks you write are all going to bounce. So Goldberg has a, a marvelous house. He's written a magnificent book by, by, uh, by Bonson and Matson's report, and I trust, their, I trust their report. And I'm looking forward to going through uh, this book. But as beautiful a house as it is, it needs a foundation. Jesus says if you don't build the house on the rock— and that rock is his word. The rock is what Jesus taught. If you don't build the house on the rock, it doesn't matter how pretty the house is. It doesn't matter how nice the curtains are. It doesn't matter how well arranged the sofas and the chairs are. It just doesn't matter. If a storm comes, as a storm has come upon Western culture now, when the storm comes, the house is going to fall like it was the house of Usher. So uh, we're still in the middle of uh, Plodcast 44. I told you last uh, last week uh, that uh, we were going to have to spread this particular word out over uh, several weeks, um, and we're still on um, uh, hamartia. So in the Gospel of Mark, uh, he does not use the word hamartano. He doesn't use the verb, but he does use hamartia six times. He tells us, for example, that John the Baptist came and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That's in Mark 1, 4. In the next verse, all of Judea came out to be baptized, confessing their sins, 1, 5. In the next chapter, Jesus began with the paralyzed man by forgiving his sins, 2, 5. And as in Matthew, the word is used again in the following verses, in verse 7, 9, and 10, as Jesus answers the charge of the Pharisees that only God can forgive sins. And the premise was quite correct, but their assumption that Jesus was not Emmanuel caused them to miss the point completely. Uh, so Jesus is God with us. So when Jesus, they said only God, you know, what's all this? Only God can forgive sin. That's exactly right. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus is God with us. Jesus is uh, the word come in the flesh. And and as the Gospels make clear, uh, the Lord Jesus came in order to precise, in order to deal with sin uh, precisely. That was his whole mission. So, um, uh, people who are well do not need a physician. Jesus says, uh, I, I, I came here for the sick people. Uh, sin is this moral sickness. Sin is this moral disease. And Jesus came in order to cleanse us from our sins. So um, the, the mission that John the Baptist had was a mission of, of repentance from sin, and it was a mission of preparation for the Messiah. Um, Jesus uh, forgives the paralyzed man his sins, and Jesus answers the pharisaical charge that only God can forgive sins. That's quite right. God in the time of the sickness, God in the You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. 
To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.